Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Talk Mental Health show, where we discuss all aspects of mental health and wellness and how it impacts our physical health. We'll share stories and speak with behavioral health experts to normalize conversations around mental health and the need for occasional support. Our goal is to reduce stigma and provide listeners with tools and resources you need to lead physically and mentally healthy lives. Hi there. I am your host, Dr. James Simmons. I'm a nurse practitioner, board certified, of course, uh, founder and host of Ask the NP. And joining me today is Dr. Robin Henderson. Say hi, Doc Robin. Hi, Dr. James. It's so good to be here with you today. So good to be with you as well. And uh, Doc Robin is the Chief Executive of Behavioral Health for Providence, Oregon, and Chief Clinical Officer for Work to Be Well, which is fantastic. And Doc Robin, I'm going to give you just a second for those folks in um, uh, who are new to you and what we do here for you to talk about yourself. But before we go any further, of course, I absolutely want to remind everyone that the information provided in this video is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. As always, please, 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 please seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. The other thing I will say before we get started in this episode of Let's Talk Mental Health is that we're we're going to get kind of deep and we're going to talk about some some things particularly related to gun violence um, and and recent issues that have been in the news that may be really disturbing and really troublesome and trauma inducing for some folks. So we we respect that and we see that and we honor that. And I want to give everyone sort of a level set before we go any further that we're going to be talking about those things. And if you ever feel overwhelmed by this or ever feels like it's too much. Um, you're, you're welcome to tune away. We also will be providing resources for you and ways to kind of work through and talk about these things as we go. Okay. Um, so with all that being said, Doc Robin, let the folks who have never met you before know a little bit more about you. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for, for doing this podcast today. I'm Dr. Robin Henderson. I am a licensed psychologist by training. I am the chief executive of behavioral health for Providence here in the Oregon region, which basically means all things mental health and substance abuse, some way or another, come up through me. Uh, and somehow I get to facilitate the practice of all of the amazing providers, practitioners, and staff and caregivers who work with folks who struggle with mental health issues every single day. I'm also the chief clinical officer of Work To Be Well, which is our youth mental health prevention education program that works primarily in schools and in social media around helping lift up mental health education, um, self-care, wellness, which is why I'm really passionate about the topic we're going to talk about today. And, and I really agree with you. This is a very difficult topic. It's been a really rough time. Mm -hmm. And we got to go head on at this. We got to have some honest conversations. Yep, we, we absolutely do have to have honest conversations. And it's interesting that, you know, not only are individuals having these honest conversations, but other organizations are sort of getting involved. And I kind of want to read this, this statistic. I'm not a big fan of like throwing too many statistics at people and, and reading things, but I'm going to read this. So in 2019, the American Psychological Association found that more than three quarters of American adults are stressed about possible mass shootings and nearly one in three adults say they feel they can't go out and about without worrying about being in a mass shooting. Holy crap, Doc Robin. Like that, if you would have asked me that without 
knowing that statistic beforehand. If you would have asked me what percentage of American adults fear that they might be a part of a mass shooting, I would have said 30 or 40%, which is still obnoxiously high, right? Way higher than any other, you know, probably any other nation in the in the uh, world that doesn't have gun violence issues like we do. But three quarters, that is fantastic. I mean, Doc Robin, what is this, what are mass shootings and gun violence in general doing to our mental health as a nation? Well, I can tell you, Dr. James, it's not good. When you look at things like mass shootings and gun violence, there's a sense of loss of control and random um, occurrence that people feel helpless. And when they feel helpless, they also feel hopeless. And that this is something that you could be in a mall, you could be in a school. It could happen randomly to anybody in an environment that previously we thought of as safe. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll give you a really great piece of context around this. Back in the day, many, many, many moons ago, um, the original school shooting was at Thurston High School in Eugene, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And when you see the list, and there's a lot of lists scrolling now on Facebook, they always start with mm-hmm. the one at Thurston High School. And I was a young provider at that time. I was working mm-hmm. in an alcohol and drug treatment program, and that came on the news. And it was something that had never occurred to anybody that there would be a mass shooting in a school. It was like, this is sanctity. This is this is a place where right. you don't violate. It's inviolate. And right. and what do we do with that? And I remember that we pulled all of the kids who were who were in treatment at that time into a room and we did a big, big, huge process group and talked about what at that time was a very novel occurrence mm. and what now has become endemic to all of us, where it's like almost like now this has become something where we rehearse for it. We train for it. It's like what used to be back in the 1950s you know, and 60s, the fallout shelter nuclear threat where we're going to go train for that. This is our new nuclear threat. And yeah. I want to talk a little bit later on about the impact, the psychological impact on our youth of this, of this prepper mentality for this. But back to this issue. Mm-hmm. Now that this has become something where 75% of us think that that we're going to be somehow impacted by this if we go out for some perspective when you go out today you are more likely to be in a car accident than you are to be in a mass shooting Mm. but we don't worry at the same level about car accidents we've come to become numb to the fact that that car accidents happen and people die my biggest fear in this is that we as a society are going to become numb to mass shootings If we if we haven't already, right? I feel like I I mean, there was just a a shooting. You know, I'm in the hospital seven days on and seven days off, and I'm in and out of clinic parts of the hospital and the primary part of the hospital and whatever. And there was just a a hospital clinic shooting on a campus in Tulsa yesterday, where five people lost their lives, including the the uh, alleged gunman. And it, it sort of made a blip. And then it was not the headline this morning when I woke up watching the news. And it made me think that very thing, Doc Robin, like, whoa, 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 we are way too. I mean, we're still having funerals for the people who were shot in the grocery store in Buffalo. Yeah. Still now, even though we're past now, not, not past, but we just, you know, had the, the shooting in, in, you know, Uvalde and, and at Rob elementary, like, I think we are sort of numb to this a little bit already. And and how does that numbness sort of impact how we receive the, the news and receive the information and how it permeates us living in this gun violence all of the time? 
you know, it, it raises our stress level. If, if we look at our stress level, like, you know, being here normally, this puts an additional level of stress on, and it kind of creates that constant state of agitation and numbness and mm -hmm. acceptance that really mm -hmm. damages our psyche, mm -hmm. damages our emotional well-being, damages how it is that we perceive threat and how we go, you know, this is something that is beyond our control. When the reality is there are aspects of this that are within our control. And I'll give you a really great example. Um, the shooting in Tulsa, I learned this morning, the shooting in Tulsa, the gentleman who, or the person, individual, whoever it was, who is alleged to have completed that incident, went and bought an AR-15 assault rifle mm. shortly before. And we look at the <sighs> commonalities of somehow we've now accepted that these things are okay. Mm -hmm. I, I think to myself about all the things that we do product safety recalls on, right? And you're probably not old enough to remember this, but back in the day, there was this kind of a car called a Pinto. Oh, and yeah. If you crashed into <laughs> the back of a Pinto, the Pinto would explode, right? Right, yeah. It was very random. It was all the things. And what did we do? We recalled all the Pintos. Mm -hmm. But we're not using some of those same product safety mechanisms that we have to, for some reason, AR-15s are okay, even though we know what is a common factor in all of these mass shootings? Right. It 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 very much, it very much is, and and I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, re, re, sort of regardless how you feel about guns in general, and we feel very uniquely about guns in the United yeah. States. This is a uniquely United Statesian thing. Regardless of how you feel about that, it, the data is not lying that in other nations that have the same level of uh, video game violence and uh, you know everyone likes to blame mental health right it's my biggest pet peeve like the second something happens we just blame mental health um, have the same number of gangs right gun violence is not always a mass shooting though you know the bigger impacts of gun violence are actually in 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 unfortunately generally poorer communities that where gun violence happens sort of consistently have but have the same poor communities have the same gang violence problem but it's not guns they don't have the access to the rapidly killing machines that a lot of these guns are like ar-15s and so even if you feel some way politically and you're watching right now i i do think you know I, wherever you land on this i think it is important to just sort of step back and breathe and understand that the tool that is causing people to die <laughs> in this scenario are guns and that's the common denominator when we root everything else out and we've we've got to address it in a in an appropriate way. Well, and it's not necessarily even even guns per se, it's a specific type. Mm, it's mm -hmm, that type right. of, of rapid fire assault weapon that isn't something, you know, I spent 15 years of my life in in Central Oregon, which if you've never been to Central Oregon, it's absolutely beautiful mm. and it's a hunting community. It's sure. very much a hunting community and you don't take an assault style rifle out to go get your deer. That's right. not how that works because Absolutely. that's not what that tool would be useful for. It's not a thoughtful home protection method. It's not all of those types of things. It's mm -hmm. a very specific type. And I think that there's a level of denial and, and it, it speaks to that broader conversation about where we're at as, as a people around how it's got to be either all good or all bad, right? 
it's yeah. all good or it's all bad. And the polarization has lost the perspective of, you know, 19 people in a school, 17 of them children, lost their lives to someone who was able to gain access to an assault style rifle. And in that infinitesimal moment, when their psyche said, this is what I must do. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole process that goes through this. When you look at mass shootings, sure. they are, for the most part, very methodical. These are not impulsive moves. Right. And I'm glad you brought up the issue of gun violence in, in, in impoverished communities and gang-style violence and things like that. Because a lot of times, those are very Im- impulsive. I've got a gun in my back pocket, and it's a, it's a one-shot type of a deal. The right. mass shootings, for the most part, have been methodically planned over time. And there's a series mm-hmm. of things that go on in somebody's psyche that leads them into the idea of, and I'm not using psyche in the term of mental health. I'm using psyche in terms of the stories we tell ourselves, right? You know, whether it's racial discrimination or some type of other wrong, it's that polarization of thinking that leads then to, to that impulsive moment where we're going to go ahead and complete that, that, tragedy yeah, in that respect absolutely. yeah but it starts in this kind of ideological really ideological verve that we've got going on in america that i think is heightening everybody's feelings around this that adds to our stress adds to the devolution of our emotional well-being mm-hmm. and adds oh. to this overall sense of i don't know about you dr james i'm exhausted oh my god just absolutely, you know, I, I I do a lot on on social media to provide you know health resources to people, and and it's literally like part of my job. And I just I haven't been able to do it since last week, and I was sort of like, why? And I I love doing it. It's it's a lot of fun for me. But I was like, why have I not? Why am I just sort of cranky and on edge? And why have I not been able to do this thing? I I, I feel like I can't even go. Uh, on television, you know, I had to talk about something on television earlier this morning that had nothing. It was like a fun, happy topic, and it, I almost felt bad talking about something happy. I almost felt bad talking about monkeypox on my health channels on social media because I'm like, nothing else matters right now than for us to fix this problem. And yeah. so, what do what do we say, Doc Robin? What do we do to to all of us who are just completely exhausted with this right now? And sometimes feeling really powerless. You know, when I'm feeling powerless and and exhausted, um, you know, I look at that idea of, of, you know, kind of goes back to that, that saying uh, that Mr. Rogers had of, you know, look for the helpers and things like that. Mm, Look mm -hmm. for where I can make a difference. Right. Mm. So in my community, in my state, it's an election year. It's an election year for many of us. Mm-hmm. Where can I make a difference and look at what initiatives are coming up that are going to impact things like mental health education and support in schools, um, and, you know, things that are going to provide better protections so that people may not be able to access the type of assault rifles that are so endemic right now? Where sure. am I going to go ask my lawmakers at the questions around how are we going to stem the flow? of these types of events continuing to happen if we're not looking at some of the root causes that other countries have looked at, which Mm. are, why do we need to have assault rifles out there to begin with? (laughs) Right. We spend a lot of money on how it is that we're going to protect schools. And I don't want to get into a whole conversation about how, 
how that appears to have not really worked quite well in Texas. But I had a very interesting conversation with one of the youth who's in the Work to Be Well project, who was telling a story about when he was in middle school and they were doing a school shooter drill. Mm. And think about the impact of you're in middle school or even elementary school and you're doing a school shooter drill where Mm. we turn out the lights, you get underneath your desk. And in this particular instance, um, the way this group of students was being taught was they had to grab an object that they could use to defend themselves. So you're looking around your classroom thinking, what is an object? And this student grabbed, of all things, a stapler. So here's this kid. Seventh what else grader, are you going to grab? Yeah. yeah. Seventh graders with a stapler under his desk. And somebody in the room began to see the irony in the situation. And, uh-huh. and in their little scared mind, let out a giggle. And at that point, Mm. when that student let out a giggle, the teacher in that room walked up behind the student and went, bang, you're dead. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. And I sat real time on a podcast (sighs) listening to the student tell this story. And I'm thinking to myself, we're traumatizing our teachers. We're traumatizing our students. We're traumatizing everybody in this run up to create this illusion of protection. Wow. that to be honest with you is, is not, it's that just that it's just an illusion. It, it is just an illusion. Holy crap, Doc Robin. <laughs> that, that is intense. Cause that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, yeah. don't make any noise. Like I literally went into this response of like, Oh my God, it, you know, there's an active shooter, like don't make a noise. And then the, for the teacher to, to, to acknowledge that and follow through with it, you know, during a drill, this is, uh, just hearing that story, I mean, it, it absolutely breaks my heart, and it it leads me to thinking about the the kiddos, right? And I, I use that term very lovingly, but kiddos from from zero to we're all kiddos, but zero to eighteen who are in school. Yes. What what do we say? You know, we have a question from from a, a viewer right now, and I think it's a perfect transition into talking about the kids who are really being impacted by this. What do, what do you say to your your student of any age or your kiddo of any age who is like, I don't want to go to school. I'm absorbing these things. I hear about it. We had another active shooter drill because of the events in the news. And now, like, I am terrified. I do not want to go to school. I'm, Mom, I'm not going. Like, what do you say to that kid? Well, the very first thing we do in any of these cases as parents and guardians and, and youth youth directors and things like that who work with kids is, you stop, you sit down, and you listen. Mm. Tell me more about that. Tell me what's going on for you. This brings up so much emotions for these kids. They're scared for themselves. They're scared for their friends. They're scared about all of these different types of things. And just Mm -hmm. let them live with those big, huge feelings. I mean, there's big feelings involved in all of this. And let them live with that and let them tell you all about it and let them process it all out. And once people are done really getting through that, what are my fears? What am I afraid of? All those types of things. We got to go back at some point and level set with some of the things we talked about early on. The most dangerous thing most of us are going to do today is get in our vehicle. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's start with a little bit of that perspective to give kids a little bit of control back in their lives. But I think we also need to take the opportunity to give kids activation. What can you do? What do you want to do? For some kids, it's going to be, I want to send a card. I want to send a letter. I want to do something. 
for for the kids at Rob Elementary. I want to draw a picture. I want to have a lemonade stand. I want to do whatever it is. For that sure. group of active kids who really feel and resonate with the idea of I want to help the victims, beautiful. Point them in that right. direction. But for another group of kids, especially high school students, they want to do something, and, and often middle school students too, Mm-hmm. They want to do something about perhaps, you know, they resonate with the idea of we need to reduce access to these types of assault weapons. Well, mm-hmm. let's write a letter to your legislator. Let's write a letter to the city council. Let's write a letter to the school board. But giving them an activation of something to do. You know, as Love we start it. to get to really older kids, hey, maybe you want to volunteer on a campaign. Maybe you want to sit on a committee. But give them agency and show that they have that they have some level of control mm-hmm. in a situation that we all know is really super hard to have control in. But that's yeah. a for healing. And and it, it, I love that you're 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 giving you know something to do. It's almost like uh, it's not just like rechanneling almost of all of this energy, all of these these emotions, all of these things that are going on inside of us. It's acknowledging it and understanding it and listening to it, and then channeling that into something so that that just overwhelming helpless feeling that we sort of all have, you know, it doesn't, doesn't overwhelm us. Right. Um, and, and some kiddos are better at saying things than others. Um, what are those signs you're looking for in your kiddo? Who's not going to be the verbal one about this. Who's not going to come to you and say, I don't want to go to school, but, but might really be struggling. What are those nonverbal things we're looking for? Such a great question, Dr. James, because for a lot of kids, they do go internal. They don't want to be a bother. They don't want to be a burden. They know you're upset about it as a parent. And so what you're going to see in them are some of the more passive avoidant, uh, a stomachache. Uh, I know my own kid called up the other day after this and and he was struggling with a stomachache. And I'm like, yeah, mm. it's been an icky time out there. Yeah. And once you start to name and identify that sometimes <laughs> When we internalize our emotions, they create a tummy ache. Um, mm. Gives you an opportunity to pull that out. Could also be in oversleeping. Um, you know, developing. Mm. You know, faking a cold in there. Yeah, I don't want to go to school because you know I think I've got a cold. And you sure. know what? It can be okay to take a day or two off of school. In yeah. Oregon, we passed legislation <laughs> so kids who could, you know, who needed a a mental health day could take a mental health day, so they didn't have to make up a cold. But that's an that's awesome. OCD response. Yeah. But yeah, encourage I, them if you're going to take that mental health day, what are you going to do to take care of you? Because mm-hmm. it's not going to be sit behind the screen and, and you know, watch the 24-hour news cycle and really, like, marinate in this stuff. It's got to mm-hmm. be, I'm going to do some self-care. I'm going to go outside. And that's that's another big thing. Turn off the TV. Yeah. Turn off the social media feed. Get away from it for a bit. Get away learning. from it. Yeah, because it, it can be overwhelming, you know, it, yep. it, and it, but it's almost like that addiction response that we sort of all have, you know, I'm scrolling through my phone, right? Where we're that addiction response we all have to watching these videos and learning this and saying being mad at someone's reaction or really agreeing with someone else's reaction like that is triggering like all kinds of dopaminergic sort of, you know, nicotinic receptor agonist things, right? We're just like, oh, yep, 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 fill me up, fill me up. And, and we got to get get away from that and one of the things i think is most important to get away from with all of that is the the media and i'm a part of the media sometimes so i i i 
I'm trying to do my part with this, but I acknowledge that the media's vigilance in just instantaneously blaming mental illness or yep. mental health when it comes to mass shootings. And please explain like once and for all for everybody watching, like why this is problematic when there is a mass shooting our gut response, our knee-jerk response can't just be, oh, well, this person has a mental illness. You know, it's such an easy thing to blame things on because then we can go, we can rationalize it in our mind. Oh, they must have a mental illness. That's why, because nobody who's mentally healthy would ever do this. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the same idea of, oh, people who are racist, well, they must have a mental illness. People who mm -hmm. discriminate against others are, who are sexist, who are all of those types of things. People with polarized belief systems must have a mental illness. Mm -hmm. And that's a rationalization rooted in stigma. Mm -hmm. It's really rooted in this idea of we like to other people and explain it away and go, it couldn't possibly be that a mentally healthy person could develop such, such horrifying beliefs. Sure. When the reality is, yeah, monsters aren't people with mental illness. They're really not. What they are is a belief system is a very different thing. A belief system is not a mental illness. A belief system in that indoctrination into a, a you know, and for instance, looking at the Buffalo case, a racist way of thinking is, sure. is not a mental illness process. It's an indoctrination of beliefs that are encouraged oftentimes by social media, oftentimes by other types of you know, whether it's your your nature versus nurture, what you've grown up in mm -hmm. and what you've been exposed to and what you've learned. Mm -hmm. And we've stopped prioritizing the teaching of compassion for our fellow human mm -hmm. being. And instead prioritize these very polarized belief systems that other people that make them something different than what we are. That's mm -hmm. really what foments this type of a mass shooter mentality. Yeah. So think about going back into wow. like elementary school and how we teach about compassion and how we teach about um, acceptance for everybody. Every time we chip away at that idea of acceptance and go, we accept everybody except people who um, have green hair. We mm. accept everybody except people who believe in the flying spaghetti monster or whatever it is. And I'm using some outlandish examples for a lot of different right. reasons. When sure. the reality is we accept everybody except those who are of a Muslim faith or mm. those who are of a Jewish faith or mm -hmm. those who have a different skin color than I do. That mm. lowers our capacity for compassion for everyone and increases the potential for us to be able to look at them as less than human. Mm. That's not a mental illness. Not, not at all. Not at all. I, I, I want that to sit a little bit with, with the folks watching and listening. You know, it, it, these indoctrinations and, and these belief systems that people will develop over time for whatever reasons ultimately lead to, uh, you, you put it best, Doc Robin, I'm not going to repeat it the, the right way, but uh, not realizing who we are as humans, not, not realizing the humanness. And what that leads to is taking people's lives. And in many instances, the lives of children. Yes. Who are, who are otherwise innocent. And so that, like you said, is, is categorically different 
than a mental health diagnosis. That is not a mental illness. That is an indoctrination. Um, so thank you for that. And I, I, I'm somber about that on purpose because I think it's really, really important for people to acknowledge that the, the words matter. And in the conversations we have with individuals, the conversations we have with our coworkers, the, what we hear coming at us through Facebook Lives, through TV, through social media, all of these things has to be filtered through this lens of understanding what's really going on you know, rationalizing stigma, I think is how you put that or, or rooted in stigma, understanding what's going on when we instantaneously blame mental illness for people's actions. And so thank you very much for sharing it in that way. Well, and, and you know, I even think about when we go back to the idea of why, why are conversations about microaggressions important? Mm. Because every time we have a situation where we're hurting someone where we're having those microaggressions microaggressions lead to macroaggressions and mm -hmm. it leads to that sense of you and i the more that i fundamentally see you as different the less i have compassion for you mm -hmm. and whether we're dealing with this in in terms of of you know we can translate this issue over to houselessness it's really mm -hmm. easy to look at people who are who are houseless who are living you know on the streets and put them into the buckets of stigma that we've created. Well, there must've been something that they did to get themselves there. They must be mm. using drugs. They must be doing this. Somehow we can continue to make them different than we are. Right. And that takes us farther and farther away from compassion. And it makes it easier for people who get indoctrinated into that way of thinking to feel compelled to complete acts of violence like we've been seeing. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and othering them. Other, othering, othering people because it makes it so hard to deal with sometimes on our own, or it's so difficult for us to say, "Oh my gosh, this is something that could happen to me, or someone that I know, or someone that I love." Like it, it's much easier to other others, right? Yes. Um, I, I just want to acknowledge here we're getting close to the end of our time, and um, if you have any last minute questions or thoughts, please put them in the chat. I'm remiss I didn't say this earlier on as well, but. Thank you for watching on Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube, wherever you're watching this or as a replay. If you're watching live, please uh, drop some questions in if you have anything for Doc Robin here in just our last you know, minute or two. Um, you know, I think that there are there are so I mean, Doc Robin, we could talk about this for eight hours. And there's so much to get to, but in these, you know, last few moments that we have here with active shooter drills and COVID cases surging again and Summer's getting crazy and, you know, legislation going on and body autonomy issues. And I'll add pride onto that, right? Pride is can actually, pride is both a protest and a party and can be a really stressful time for a lot of people. Like we're all really freaking out right now. <laughs> like the world is just on fire. How, how do we not let all of that seep in? How do we how do we say, okay, I keep seeing these things and I'm gonna I'm gonna activate, I'm gonna do the things that I can try to do to protect myself, but but how do I not let all of the stresses just become so overwhelming? Find those pockets of self-care where you can. Find those pockets of self-care with your kids. Um, everybody's got their family rituals in my house, it's family game night. I can tell you upcoming this weekend, there's going to be a raucous family game night where we're going to play <laughs> and we're going to laugh and we're going to turn off the TV and we're going to be together. Awesome. But now more than ever, hug your kids, 
hug your spouse, hug your partner, hug your friends. Instead of jumping and assuming, assume good intent. Mm. You know, it's more than ever time that we love one another, that we gather together and love one another and really take this opportunity because we're all feeling this. The only way we're going to heal and move beyond this as a country is if we remember that that's our bottom line, mm. love one another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 100%. I could not have said it better. Doc Robin, thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's easier to be angry sometimes at people. Um, I can be a bit of a road rage person. And I've literally just been exercising exactly what you said in my road rage. Say, so James, you know, it's really easy for me to be angry and honk and yell at someone. Um, but I'm just going to practice in these moments to just have compassion for another human being who maybe is not driving in the way that I want them to drive because they're having a bad day. <laughs> you know, I just lost my dad a few months ago. Maybe this person just had a loss in their life, right? I'm trying even in those moments to just be a little bit more compassionate. So even if you can't find it at 24 hours of your day, at least try to find those moments where, you know, you're, you're realizing the, the humanness of all of us around us and just, and just breathe. Just exactly. Thank you. Um, Doc Robin so much. And thank you everybody uh, who has been watching. I know we went a little bit over time uh, today, but apparently that's my MO. So we're just going to go with it. And this was a pretty intense conversation, but a much needed one. I imagine we will need to do this again um, sooner than later. So thank you again for watching everyone. If you are looking for medical advice, of course, please visit providence.org and make sure you follow Providence all over social uh, at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, if you're not there already. And of course, as one last reminder, the information provided during this event was for educational purposes only, not medical advice. If you have questions regarding medical conditions or treatment plans, please consult your physician or other qualified healthcare provider. 1-800-273-TALK. If you are ever feeling like harming yourself or know someone who is, uh, they can be a resource for you and anyone else. All right. Thanks everyone so much for watching. We really appreciate it. And we will see you again soon. Thanks, Doc Robin. Love you. Love you too. Be well.